think that we can all multitask and do more. This is really common for first-term cross-cultural workers doing language learning. They think, I just need to work harder, I need to do more. And they're trying to function outside of their window of tolerance of their capacity to do that work. It's the opposite. They should cut back so that they can stay inside that window of capacity and do that work well. Welcome to Language on Purpose with linguist, teacher, consultant, and veteran language learner, Mary Lynn Kinberg. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Language on Purpose. Our guest today is a pre-field adult trainer and coach at Mission Training International. He's worked as a cross-cultural worker for eight years in Russia, and we are so glad to have him on the show today. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here today. At a recent international language learning conference, I heard an incredible presentation by Jeff, and I really wanted him to share that with us today. So we're going to jump right in here with our first question. What are some emotions and stresses common to language learners, especially in the first term as cross-cultural workers? We have to take that into account that people are different, but in general, cross-cultural workers during their first term are all experiencing a lot of life's major stressors. Cross-cultural workers are experiencing a massive shift in their job, and there aren't concrete job responsibilities, except maybe to try to do language learning, but they've never done that on purpose before. That job loss then results in loss of identity, correct? Absolutely. It's one of the major losses is identity and competency. I know what I'm doing. I know how to do it. I know my schedule. I know what I'm good at. I know how everything in my job works. And I feel successful, especially for Westerners. Success is a huge motivator for us. So talk to us about how those stresses can impede the language learning process. When you're stressed, your brain responds to that stimulus as danger. And so you start to enter into that fight or flight stage. And it really impacts memory, working memory, short-term memory, and long-term memory. Working memory is like a sticky note that your brain holds onto something for just a little bit. Short-term memory is moving between working memory and long-term memory. And then long-term memory is where we store information. When we are stressed out, all three of those types of memory start to function slower. What that means is, oh, I just learned that word an hour ago. Well, the sticky note is gone. And so then you say, oh, maybe it's in long-term memory already, but it didn't get shuttled to long-term memory by a short-term memory. And so you can't retrieve it. It's just not there. So the language learner really needs to work on not being stressed. And one of the things that's very interesting about stress is we forget there are two types of stress. Uh, fancy word, eustress, and the word distress. We think of stress as distress only really amazing and wonderful things happen in our lives that are still stressful. We're happy about them. They're still stressful. It's a positive stress. 
it still triggers your brain that you're in danger because your brain is on the lookout at all times to keep you safe. What are the emotions then that come into play here? Frustration, anxiety, uh, worry, anger. Some folks may actually find that they start to become numb and they shut down, which would then lead towards uh, a word like depression or sadness. It's not uncommon for the first term cross-cultural worker to find themselves so frustrated during a lesson or after a lesson that they break down crying. And they think, I'm a, I'm a grown adult. Why am I crying? But you're trying so hard to do something and you're not feeling successful at it. What are some other telltale signs that your brain is being stressed out? There's some physical responses that you need to pay attention to. For example, uh, sweaty hands, cold hands, maybe a feeling of um, tingling in your body of, I don't even know what to do. Like I'm so frozen. I think a lot of stress signs and symptoms appear first in our body and we're not aware of them uh, unless we're looking out for them. But your body knows before your, your conscious thought knows that you're stressed out. Some signs and symptoms that you're stressed out when you start doing something too much or something too little. For example, sleeping all the time or not getting enough sleep. Maybe exercise is something that you know triggers your, your brain to release dopamine. And that's, that's our feel-good chemical, right? So we do things like exercise to get dopamine. So we start exercising all the time because we feel like I need more dopamine. Or we usually exercise for 30 minutes a day and we stop doing it all together. So paying attention to too much, too little. We're relational people. And I think a big sign that you're stressed out will show up in relationships, friendships, marriages, teammates, coworkers. They might know before you do. And if you have a safe relationship with that person, they could say, dude, you're stressed out. What does that relational dynamic look like that people can speak into? I think, um, especially if we're thinking about first-term cross-cultural workers who are in a language learning phase, that sitting down with your teammates, your coworkers, a spouse, friends, and just outright saying, I know I'm going to need deep relationships and friendships. If you see these types of behaviors, I want you to tell me I might not be noticing. It might be a sign that I'm really stressed out and I need help. So you want a deep relationship where someone knows you well enough to know that your behavior is different because it's those differences that show that we're stressed. We really want to target of course, how this is affecting the language learning process. And I think it would be good to stop here and ask you to talk about the window of tolerance. Okay. Yeah, the window of tolerance is a concept um, that was originally uh, described by Dan Siegel. He's a clinical professor of psychiatry at the UCLA School of Medicine. and the window of tolerance talks about capacity, how well we can function in a, a healthy range. So let's imagine for a moment 
say a top, a middle, and a bottom. In the middle is your window of tolerance, your capacity uh, to function in a healthy way. We'd be talking about Winnie the Pooh and how Winnie the Pooh is pretty level. He's happy most of the time. Things are going well for Winnie the Pooh. When there are stimuli around us that push us to work harder, faster, uh, outside of our capacities, we end up functioning either like Tigger or Eeyore. If you're functioning like Tigger, you're hyper aroused. You're running around, you're sweating, you're not making good decisions, you're overexcited. If you're functioning like Eeyore, you're hypo aroused, you're tired, you're moving slowly, you just can't make a decision. And so you have this window of tolerance in the middle. And you have the hyper arousal on top. You have the hypo arousal on the bottom. And so those both can squeeze that window of tolerance. Can you drill down a little more into what it looks like to shrink that window? Absolutely. Typical everyday stresses shrink that window of tolerance. They make your capacity smaller than it would usually be because of those stresses in life. I've heard it said that the average cross-cultural worker, even after 20 years on the field, functions at 60% capacity compared to in their home culture. So that's how much their window of tolerance has shrunk. Exactly. So you have to take care of yourself. You have to think about, I'm not the same person I am in my home culture. I can't function at that same capacity. Now, lots of people have different levels of capacities. My goodness, this friend only sleeps four hours a night. and They can accomplish so much in a day. Someone else needs nine hours of sleep. Someone else needs 10 hours of sleep. That's a, a way to think about capacity is how much sleep do you need? We all have a, a work productivity. We think that we can all multitask and do more. This is really common for first-term cross-cultural workers doing language learning. They think, I just need to work harder, I need to do more, and they're trying to function outside of their window of tolerance of their capacity to do that work. Uh, it's the opposite. They should cut back so that they can stay inside that window of capacity and do that work well. I know in your presentation, you talk about executive functions and what is happening to those functions when that window of tolerance is shrinking? That's a really good question. Thank you for asking that. There's the prefrontal cortex where we have all of our thinking functions of the brain. These are called executive functions. And when we're stressed out, our executive function capability really decreases. What are some executive functions? For example, memory, working memory, short-term memory, and long-term memory, flexible thinking, our ability to deal with ambiguity. The first-term cross-cultural worker is encountering ambiguity constantly. I don't know what this means. What does that gesture mean? I don't know what my schedule is. And they just start to shut down in multiple ways because I don't know anything for sure. Self-control, our ability to set priorities and resist impulses, 
paying attention, organization, planning, prioritizing, starting tasks and staying focused on them to completion, understanding different points of view, regulating our emotions, keeping track of what we're doing. If our executive functions have gone offline because we're stressed out all the time, we have trouble starting and staying on task. We have difficulty choosing which task to do first. The average adult makes 36,000 decisions a day. And a lot of those are unconscious because we're following a pattern. We know how to drive to work. We know how to get there. We know how to punch our time card. We know how to log into the computer. We don't have to make a conscious decision, but imagine if executive function is offline and you're facing 36,000 decisions, decision fatigue is going to set in by eight o'clock in the morning. We might panic when rules change or our routine is different, have trouble following directions or doing a sequential task. Our thoughts are disorganized. We can't keep track of our things. If we want to match up those executive functions with everything that's required in language learning, we can see why language learning becomes such an overwhelming task. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, 100%. We often have to take charge of our own language learning because we won't learn the things we need for our work just going to a secular language school. And so making all those decisions of what are the words I need to learn? What are the facts I need to know? What should I do first? How long should I push through it? This When should I take a break? Uh, all of those kind of things sort of fly out the window when we're really stressed out. Makes language learning super difficult. Let's go ahead and talk about then the things that learners can do about this kind of scenario. I know from your presentation, I called it the three R's and it's not reading, writing, and arithmetic. Tell us about those three R's. Well, we need to rest and we need to reboot and we need rhythm. These are things that are built into us by the creator. And so I think that we can look to the example of the sun to see these kind of things. We see him taking time to rest, to sleep, even in the midst of unbelievable storms, he is taking care of his body. He is resting. There are crowds of people all wanting something from him. And he steps aside and he goes off to a place alone with the father and prays. I know as a cross-cultural worker myself, I felt like the work is so important. The work has to be done. It has to be right now. And it's so easy to lose sight of rhythms that are important. For example, Sabbath. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy is on the same list as do not murder. It's that important. Mother Teresa and the sisters that worked with her, they did that very difficult work in India for a very long time because they followed a very smart, healthy rhythm of rest. They took an hour a day, a day a week, a week a month, a month a year, apart from the work to rejuvenate, to reboot, to rest up, to spend 
spend time alone with the father in order to be re-energized to do the work. That's a great rule of thumb. At the same time, I recognize how difficult those things are in a cross-cultural situation. I know when we were working in a remote Quechua village in Peru, one of the ways that we recharge is by taking walks. But that was not a cultural thing to do. Where are you going? Well, we're going to take a walk is not a response. And one time we took a hike in the hills that were surrounding the village. Then later they asked us, what were you doing up there? Were you worshiping the hill spirits? Just randomly walking was not an option. I did have an example of jumping rope inside. And so I thought that was a good way to exercise. But we had a dirt floor. And so I was jumping rope at a pretty fast pace, stirring up dirt. And someone came to the door and I was heaving. I was, <sighs> and there was dust flying everywhere. And that look on her face, like, what in the world are you doing? So it is hard to find those cultural ways that you can rest. Where can you go? Some of the rationale is I don't deserve a rest. I'm supposed to be doing this full time. The people who are supporting me financially expect me to do this. What if they find out that I'm taking a vacation? How can I justify spending money to go to a comfortable resort when I live around people that can't afford the most essential necessity? How would you address that, Jeff? You can't afford to not take care of yourself is, I think, the first thing I would say. And uh, you are not from that culture, so you might have different needs than they have. It's exercise one, uh, which is one of the key things that can help your brain re-regulate itself. It's outside, which also is one of the key things that helps your brain reboot. And the other thing I think that's a, a guaranteed reboot is getting some sleep. These three things are, are really critical. Sometimes I say to somebody, go to bed now and get up early and start over. Like your brain's just fried out. It needs a reboot. It's critical to plan. I think you should get out a calendar before you even start. A medical doctor with the old China Inland Mission, uh, they didn't let people take breaks in long weekends. They had to take two weeks or four weeks four weeks guaranteed every year, two weeks in two weeks or all four weeks at once, because in that first week you let down and in the second week you restore. But people would go and let down for a week and then jump back into work at a lower level than before they left because they just had enough time to let down. We want our workers to know you are more valuable to the father than the work you're doing. You are his child. So the work is never more important to him than you are. To recognize your true identity. Absolutely, 100%. When most of us go to a cross-cultural situation as really overworkers, where we have all of our identity wrapped up in our achievement. And of course, at the beginning, our identity wrapped up in how well we're doing in language learning. I guess I would want to add 
add a fourth R and see what you think about this is reflection. Because sometimes you don't realize the stress that you've been under. You don't realize how much time you've put into studying. You don't realize how you're not comprehending. You don't realize that, hey, I've been going at 150% and something's not working. I really feel like that reflection, what is going on? That you name your emotions. I'm experiencing an inordinate amount of anger. My relationships are being stressed. Do you have anything else to add to that, Jeff? I agree with you. I think it's really critical that we take 15 minutes a day or more to just spend some time in reflection. Uh, How am I doing? What am I feeling? Where are my emotions? Where are my priorities? And probably, you know, when we talk about rhythms, I think this reflection piece is a good rhythm to put into some kind of a daily bookend. It's important that we take that time to stop. The work will always be there. Language learning, it never ends. As we close here, what is the most important piece of advice that you would leave with our language learning listeners? The first and probably most important is when you're stuck in the mire of language learning, and you're really frustrated, and it doesn't feel like it's worth it. You're right. It's not worth it. Key is worth it. And it helps us to refocus on why we push through, because we're not pushing through for a grade. We're pushing through for a message that needs to be heard. That's the biggest one. Some smaller ones might be Don't believe any lie that your language is an easy language or a hard language. There's no such thing. All languages are complicated and complex and require hard work to learn well. I think that was a message I gave myself when I was studying Spanish. Because how easy can Spanish be? But, or how hard can Spanish be? Then I had to realize that any language is difficult to learn to speak. Absolutely. I think maybe the final thing is it's never too late to establish healthy rhythms and patterns to take care of the inner you that the father cares so deeply about. Start now. Thank you, Jeff. That's going to be very helpful. We are now ready for your super duper language blooper. The biggest probably for me was in my first year as a cross-cultural worker, I was asked to share the Easter message. And I took that responsibility very seriously. And I really prepared for 40 hours to do that talk. As a sermon. Uh, Yes, that's exactly right. That, that the message was about how the promises uh, of the Old Testament were already fulfilled in the sun. And I was completely ready for this sermon. I had practiced and practiced. The key word, which was repeated over and over again 
in the sermon was the word already. And in Russian, that word is уже, уже. And the entire sermon, when I actually delivered it, I said уже. I just said the stress on the wrong syllable. And it is the word barely. So I reversed the meaning of the message. Just a three-letter word. A couple other silly bloopers. I was working with a group of 10 and 12-year-old kids, and it was so hot in the room where we were. So I asked one of the kids to open the window a little bit. Uh, grammatically, perfect sentence. I chose all the right words. I just didn't know that in Russian, a little bit means go number one. And I lost control of that class, absolutely. And a final message that just a horrible mistake. We were being hosted by someone in their home. They made a delicious meal for us. It was so wonderful. Um, like many cultures, they kept putting food on my plate. And I was so full, I couldn't eat anything else. And so I wanted to say, oh, the food was delicious. I'm, I'm so full. And the Russian word for a man to say he's full is soup. But I held the S a little bit too long at the beginning of that word, not knowing that it was even possible to do this in the language. And instead, I said something like, um, I have completely wet myself. The opposite effect of what I was hoping for. Thank you so much for your hospitality. I'm so full. And instead, it's say, you know, hey, lady, too much food. And I wet myself. I bet they never had you over again, right? <laughs> Actually, they did, but they told the story over and over at my expense, and I laughed with them. I made a huge mistake once, and then I did turn that into a language learning opportunity because I could tell the story on myself, and I could say, can you believe what I did? And mm -hmm. so eliciting humor is, is a way to overcome or make up, I guess, for some of our mistakes. Can you give us the information here again for our listeners? You mentioned Dan Siegel's resource. Can you just give us that? So Dan Siegel has written numerous books. And the thing you would want to look up is Window of Tolerance, if you wanted to learn more about that. I also wanted to mention a training program that Jeff is a part of. And you can find out more about their courses at mti.org mission training international thanks so much jeff for being on our show today it was super helpful this is mary lynn kindberg and you can find language on purpose on spotify google stitcher and apple Podcasts, and always at our webpage languageonpurpose.org if you subscribe you won't miss an episode keep at it keep going don't give up.